Hello and welcome to another episode of Forest Spirituality with me, Julie Brett. Today I've got a chat with Tina Merribard, who's a Druid grade member of OBOD. She lives in WA and we have a chat about bardic skills and uh, her books that she writes and music and about the bardic circle experience and coming to camps and and just our experience of what it's like to be druids in Australia and very different parts of the country. Uh, We have a chat about her experience with um, different trees and different ritual practices and things like that in WA as well. And it's a a really lovely talk, I think, about how self-acceptance and the willingness to show up is a really important part of what we do with our bardic work in druidry. So I hope you enjoy it. It's uh, It was lovely to have a chat with Tina. And um, yeah, there's also some music from her in the recording today. So I hope you'll enjoy that as well. You can find out more about her and the things she does in the links in the show notes. Hi everyone, I'm on the phone with Tina Merribard, who is from Perth in WA. And she's a Druid grade OBOD member who is uh, really into all the, the music that we do in the Bardic Circles and we always have a great time together. And she's also written a few books and, yeah, we're going to have a little talk about creativity and Druidry and all the kinds of things that we love to get into together and separately. And, yeah, I'd, I mean, I'd also love to find out, um, you know, what your experience in WA feels like, like maybe... It's different over there to how you see other people around Australia practicing, and you know what's it like to be a WA druid. So anyway, welcome. Thank you to the podcast. Very excited. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me a bit about you and your journey with druidry, and um, how I don't know. What would you like to talk about? Well, I, I started my journey with Druidry thanks to Dave the Bard. Oh, actually. really? Yeah, well, by accident. Um, my husband Andrew is very interested in he's interested in everything, but he was he was researching all different sort of world religions and things. And a couple of the books that landed on our bookshelf at the time were about Druidry, and I went, "Oh, people who like trees, I'm going to read them." But they were those very dry you know, the very early books, and I went, no, that's not me. And then I was on CD Baby searching. I just searched Pagan, and up came Dave the Bard, and I went, oh, my God, Druidry can be fun, you know, like uh, that was that really spoke to my heart. So from there, yeah, we both actually started the course, and I think that was probably getting on for about 14 years ago now. So um, it took me seven years to do the Bard level and six to do Ovate. So, and how long have you been doing? um, uh, How long have you been doing Druid for now? So I I I started it not long before I went to the assembly in August last year. So that's why I got initiated at the assembly. It was very exciting because I've never been able to be initiated at in a group ceremony before. But because I was Druid level, I got to be a part of the Bardic one and the Ovate one as as helpers. And then I got to do the Druid one. So it felt a little bit to me like I'd been initiated in every level at one assembly. Wow. So yeah, yeah. So that was fantastic. That's really cool. Um, yeah. I like what you were saying about oh, druidry is fun. As you you wrote that article for was that in, that was in Touchstone, wasn't it? Not yeah, Serpent Star. Yeah. yeah, it was in Touchstone. Um, about how oh, what you were surprised that we weren't all 
I don't know, stuffy and boring or something. <laughs> well, we do all have a pretty that... good time. <laughs> well, that is, yeah. I mean, it's it's you, you just get that hangover from all those photos of people in white robes all just standing around doing incomprehensible things, you know, from the from the early days. And of course, I've known a lot of people online on Facebook and things for years, and I know they're not stuffy, but it's. It's a very scary thing to go along to something and you really like people on Facebook and you really get to know them and you're worried that when you meet them in real life that you won't have that connection in the same way. Yeah. But 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 we did, right? We did. Yeah, for sure, you know? and, totally. Uh, oh, and I was thinking, oh, well, I'll sneak off and have some introvert time because I'm sort of typical ambivert that I need a little bit of downtime and then I love being with the people. And, and I just never did for the whole assembly because there was just no way I was – taking one minute away from the opportunity of connecting to all these fantastic people. So, yeah. Yeah. I love it how yeah. we, we have this beautiful combination of being able to be really serious about what we do, but also mm. we have such a laugh and we, we tell yes. jokes and we just muck around and, you know, we've got our robes on and we're some people doing silly dances because they're excited or, you know, yeah. <laughs> or, I don't know, or telling jokes and funny stories at the Bardic Circles. It's, it's like yeah. so joyful. Everything's just so happy. It is. <laughs> and like when someone, you know, like when, when you're in a ceremony and like Danuta starts to sing, you know, like just spontaneously singing and I just... That's the sort of thing that I love, that there's that freedom within the ceremony that everyone's not going, well, you have to do this. And when she sang, it's just like, oh, I mean, there were moments in the ceremonies that were planned that were amazing, but I also found those where we all had a little dance and, and, and when the music or when Danuta sang, that just that's when I get sort of goosebumps because I just love it so much, you know. Yeah. It's because I'm with my peeps, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, that's such a feeling, isn't it, that, you know, this group of people really get you like nobody else. Yeah. Druids are just lovely people. They really are. You yeah, know? there's a lot of acceptance and encouragement for people. I think it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, like, what What does it, like, what, what do you feel like when you get home from these things? Like, I always feel like I'm so overwhelmed but also so full of ideas and lots of, like, you know, the creative stuff that we all do together. Um, I find really gets me going with stuff when I get home too. And you're a, you write songs and you mm-hmm. do play music and make instruments and do all and do writing and things like that. Do you think that you have to go and be with other people, or is it is it just something that I don't know? Like, does going to the camp oh. sort of bring it out more for you, or do you find that it's just something that you're doing all the time anyway? I think ever since I did the Bardic grade, um, the creativity in me is just still expanding outward like like a, you know, I don't know, like a star exploding across the universe, you know, like so that I did write, I did play music, but there wasn't the same um, way, there wasn't the same energy, like I guess we're talking Arwen, right? You know, there wasn't that same Arwen in what I did. And and now I just find that... and. When you talk to people, like, you know, for instance, um, I wrote a story about a fag the other day, but it was through talking to someone else about, you know, um, the Taliesin story that then made me start to think about that point of view and so on. And and each conversation you have or each type of creativity that you see or experience or join in on just feeds everything else you do so much. So, yeah. yeah. Totally. It's like It's like the community experience of, of the Arwen makes it stronger, I think. 
Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So when we when we have our local cafe meets, one of the things we do is we we have our silver branch of sharing that we pass around, but we didn't even do that this time. It just sat on the table and we all we all talk about everything about our lives. And then at one point we all just took the time to just stop and listen um, while each person talked about where they were at with their mundane life, where they were at with their with their creativity, with their, their druidry and everything. And um, it makes me realise how much we don't actually know that much about the lives of the people around us anymore, you know. Um, I mean, we see photos on Facebook, but we don't know what's happening in their heads or how they feel. And it's beautiful to just take that time and to hear about where each person is really at and for them to know that they can take that time to talk. Mm. And it's something I loved about the, you know, the the talking stick that we had at the, the assembly. So we kind of, it's one of the things we've brought back with us. It reminds me, you know, of that quote, the one that says, nobody's life is boring. You know that, oh, that quote? And no, I can't remember no, who said that quote. But because it's when you get into the depth of somebody and they talk about where they're coming from at that time and nobody's boring. Like it's always so really fascinating and interesting. Like I just find myself listening so carefully to them when they speak like that. So Yeah. Because you realise how shallow conversations can be. So Yeah, to have just a few moments of being like that's just – check in with each other and be quiet and listen and and allowing mm. like people that don't speak a lot to speak as well I think it's yes a, I think you're right amazing mm. bonding thing about those those spaces and like so many of us are introverted <laughs> yes like, yes that um to have a space where introverts can can play with the idea of being extroverts I think is really nice <laughs> I think so, and I think the assemblies and those little groups, you know, we do get people there who would normally be introverts, but because they realise they're with this group of people that get them, they can come out. Like, you know, if they're anything like me, they probably come home and need a nap because it can be quite exhausting um, because there's so much energy and passion going around and everybody gets so excited, but, um, yeah, um, it's worth it. Yeah, so. I find them exhausted at the end. It's so much... Yeah. Like I, I, I feel like I would have been on a high just talking to one person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, to have like fifty to eighty people there that are all on the same wavelength, and every conversation you have is like really inspiring. It's, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, that was yeah. my only re- regret from the the assembly was that I didn't get to have a one on one with every single person that was there because it just wasn't possible to do that. Yeah. But. Yeah, well, you sort of time it out, and if you do that, it's sort of like only five minutes with everybody or something crazy. Yeah, that's it, and it'll be even worse at the Druid Cat because I think there's going to be, as you say, more there. So yeah. um, no, I'm just it's... happy. I'm just going to, you know, go with the flow and just yeah. talk to whoever happens to be near me and just go with that. So, yeah. And we're so... going to have that giant music session, you know, with all the songs that they've brought out, and we're all going to – there's going to be like heaps of us all playing the same song at the same time. So yeah, that's it's going to be, be really so fun. much fun. Yeah, it's great. Um, so, have you been writing your own songs? You've got. Have you got some songs to bring for the Bardic Circle, or I haven't actually put my name down to do the Estedford because as soon as it changes from Bardic Circle to Estedford, I become terrified. So, yeah. um, so since there's lots and lots of people, I've gone. Well, I don't think I'll have to actually step up on that one, so I'll just maybe join in. So um, I'm going to bring one of my Anglo-Saxon lyres, harps, whichever you want to call it. Um, the one that I've recently made, which has come out really well, and I'm going to bring a guitar as well and just join in any way I can. So, mm. Great. 
But what and for the Bardic Circle? Because you were writing a song. Um, that I, one I was. We... I've, I've written one for my new lyre that I wrote. Uh, that I've made. That's an eight-string lyre. So that meant that I had a little bit more room. So uh, because it has a talk, the boar actually is the design on it. I actually wrote a song for the boar, the talk triath. You know. Um, so that's a song that is there that I've been practicing. Because with the lie, you've got to uh, memorise the song completely because it's all individual notes to pick, you know. It's not like a guitar where you can write the chords down and just kind of work it from the chords. So I have been practising it, and I'm sure it will come out sometime over the next month or so. so. Oh, cool. Great. Yeah. And talk, so it's about the boar, is it? The song is about the boar, is it? Yeah, about the boar. Okay. So um, my Welsh accent, uh, my um, it's also Turk Tooth, you know, the, the, the story of the boar that um, Arthur chased all over Wales. Okay. And, um, and there's, you know, when you do your research, you start coming across different sort of versions of the story. But in some of the stories, um, he swims across the sea from Wales to Ireland and becomes Tork Triath, who is, you know, the, you know, it's almost the same. So um, not always. Sometimes he drowns when he's chasing to the sea, but I didn't want him to drown, so... I haven't heard that story before. What's the name of the story? Um, Turk Twith. And what we'll do is we'll – I couldn't even begin to spell it for you. So what I'll do is I'll, um, I will send you the, a link to one of, to one of the links okay. of one of the stories. Okay, I can pop it in the description so, for the yeah. – yeah, that sounds really cool. I'd like to look that up. I'm always keen for a, an interesting story to find. It, um, is, it is in the Mabinogian. It's one of the stories from the Mabinogian, yeah, right. I think. Okay. Yeah. And you've got like yep. a YouTube channel where – where people might be able to see some of your music, don't you? Yeah, I do, yeah. Um, because when I picked up The Liar, uh, there were so few uh, videos and there, there isn't anybody really teaching it. So uh, when I picked it up at first, like I, I actually, I'd seen one around. I was inspired via meditation to find an Anglo-Saxon liar. Um, and, of course, I couldn't get one. There's someone making them in England in a few places, but it would have cost so much to bring it over. So I said to my husband, who's very handy, can you make me one? So he made my first one and, and he did it um, for my birthday. And I loved it. Like it almost felt like a past life thing when I picked it up. So um, so now what, why did I get onto that topic? Because you've got a about? YouTube channel and that's where you, what you've been playing that's on right, YouTube. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I thought, oh, now playing it I'm going to put some more songs up for people like there's more out there now but at the time like I was trying to I'm, I'm looking at people's videos like in dark rooms and things and trying to work out the songs that they were playing by watching what their fingers were doing and things like that so I thought well I'll put a few more up to give people more ideas you know right so, so. It, and it's just a liar or is it a certain kind of liar that you play it's an it's an Anglo-Saxon lyre. Okay. The original one was based on a, a find in the Sutton Hoo dig, archaeological oh, wow. dig. So it's based on the Sutton Hoo lyre. Um, they've just found fragments of them. They've never found one that was all, you know, obviously they're never going to get the strings or anything out, but they've, they know that they went to a, a, a bridge and a tailpiece. So that's why they're technically a lyre, but I'm pretty sure that in those days they would have been called a harp. But a harp really goes from the frame to the frame, not to a tailpiece and bridge. So that's the only difference. Um, so, yeah, the Sutton Hoo, there's been a couple of others that have been taken out of different barrows and things, so they're often found in burials. They don't really know how they were tuned. They don't know, you know, exactly how they went to pegs at the top, whether they went over the back or, or anything. So people are just experimenting with them. So it's very freeing to, to, to mess with it. 
Some people seem to just stick to very traditional songs, but I don't. I like to mix it up and I've done things with sort of heavy metal songs and all sorts oh. of stuff just for fun. So I love your yeah. Savage Daughter rendition. That's certainly been a nice um, community song. <laughs> yeah, it has. I just It's so funny, isn't it, that you never know what effect you will have when you do something. I did it because of the women's circle we had earlier in the day. And I just felt like that was the right song. And when I did it, it just touched people's hearts, you know, in just the right way for the day. Yeah. And, yeah, everybody, everybody went home singing it. Yeah. So, yeah. It was great. I love that song. It's awesome. Yeah. So what um, inspired you to um, make that particular lyre? Was it? Um... Talk. Talk the ball one, the, the, the oh, eight is, string one. Is that is that the same style as the the other one? Is it a Sutton? Hall? It is, but um, purists would be horrified. Uh, purists would be horrified because it's eight string. Um, the the most strings I've ever found on one is seven strings, but I just wanted that little bit extra to get. Um, um, I just wanted to be able to get an octave, and I just wanted that little bit more room. Um, I actually still love the six string, but I just wanted to have a play. And because I had extra tension on it with eight strings, then I had to make it deeper. So it's actually got um, a bit deeper sound as well, which I really love. Um, and it could have been a complete flop. So, um, yeah, so my husband built the first one. I was pretty sure I wasn't going to be able to convince him to make me another one because it's a lot of work, especially with the sort of tools that we've got. So I set out to make – and I thought, well, while I make them, I'll make two, and he can show me with one and I'll make the second one entirely myself once I've learned each little sort of technique as I go. So um, so that's what I did. And I thought, well, we had one there, a piece of wood that was deeper, and I went, well, I've either got to try and plane that right down or I can go with the deeper and see what happens. So that's what I did. And it could have been a flop. And I just recently heard an interview with Benjamin Baxby, Bagby, who's an amazing um, Anglo-Saxon liar storyteller, and he said... There are many beautiful instruments on the walls of instrument makers that look fantastic, but they never came to life. And everyone you make, you worry that it's not going to come to life. And talk just came to life. So uh, I was the first time I finally got it tuned in, and all the tuning stayed and everything. And I just played. I went, Oh my god, it's alive! Like you know, it did. So yeah, awesome. I was so happy. That's okay. <laughs> I am the great Bortog Triad, beloved of the goddess, guardian of her shining hall and sounding her call to justice. Fierce am I to the eyes of those who meet me on the battlefield. But one touch of my prickling hide and all ills will be healed. They hound me, they hate me, they drive me the sea but I am the wild untamed in you and I can help you be free as cursed prince a magic boar I rage across Camry's walls hunted for the love of a maid or perhaps for the love of gold between my ears a treasure that would foster many tales the great king out in the hound cavel chase me o'er hill and dale. They hunt me, they hate me, they drive me into the sea. But I am the wild untamed in you, and I can help you be free. Don't 
touch the bristles of the boar, they don't want you to heal. Instead, the cry across the land is hunt him till he's killed. Painted black, a devil pig, I reached the stormy shores. I turned at bay to fight at last, but such a host I saw. They drove me out into the sea and with me sent away. The gift of spirit of sovereignty when it's right to go your own way. I'm the wild untamed in you and I can help you be free They say I drowned but on I swam until Aaron was in sight Their bridge had healed my cursed heart and saved me from my plight But since those days the knowledge of the old ones is near lost Warmth of fireside stories has been turned into pointless froth And hardly any person now remembers that freedom's a gift Their lives are tame, the walls close in, their paths have all gone adrift But though the goddess song is quiet, the ancient forest's hushed you can hear her voice and mine whenever your need is just. Back as tall as a horse, as mane, tusks as long as your hand. But seek me out on your forest trail and bow to me where I stand. Don't fear me, don't hate me, don't turn your back to flee. For I am the wild untamed in you and I can help you be free Yes, I am the wild untamed in you and I can help you be free If people are on Facebook, they can get onto the Druids Down Under, the DDU Bardic Circle maybe, if you share it on there, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I love that you've been getting you. into that as well and, and really being a... A catalyst for things to happen in that group it's lovely yeah oh thank you I, I do uh, and sometimes there's so many things on Facebook there's so many groups and things that it's hard for people to to settle in you know and people just drop in and go again but I really feel like that's important because we have you know I myself I'm the same I get I've been playing for years but you put me in front of people and everything just cramps up you know so just that little bit of practice online of going Go live, see what happens. If you make a mistake, it doesn't matter, you know. And so seeing other people do that, and that's what I'm trying to do by doing things on there myself, is to say, see, it doesn't matter. You can fluff it. It doesn't matter. So, yeah. you know, the main thing is that we practice and that we learn to do it, you know, in front of other people because sharing it is so amazing for other people. Yeah, you know? totally. And, yeah, how we can all share it. But, yeah, also just that breaking through the fear barrier. It's Yes, the fear barrier. It's like a, a magical practice, I think, like, you know, like these these hesitations that we have and this, like, yeah, the fear that builds up, it's like a block to our Arwen, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. And you just got to keep telling yourself that is not what everybody else in that circle is experiencing. Like before I started to play myself, my dad was actually a very good guitarist when I was young and he actually used to entertain in pubs and things like that. Um, 
And we always sang in my family and his family, but I would have rather listened to him or one of my friends tuning a guitar than canned music, if you know what I mean. So I just try to remind myself of that. If you can't play yourself or if you do play, hearing someone else play live is just still just so amazing to me. I just always love it. And I don't care if they make mistakes. So why would they care if I make mistakes? You know, it's the Mm. same, right? We're always so hard on ourselves, you know, so, yeah, yeah, totally. And when, like, what was I think what so many of us yearn for is um, something that's really about that nature spirituality, that druidry path. You know, something that's really telling our stories and is really engaged with that um, that sense of it being a, a storytelling practice and a, a practice of Arwen. And you know, you're not necessarily going to get that if people are just, you know, trying to be good. You know, it's yeah, not, that's it's right. not about yeah. that. It's just about it should be about just trying to share and and be authentic and, um, you know, letting your soul flow. They, uh, like, I saw a quote somewhere like like um, like humans have forgotten to just sing like birds do. Like birds aren't worried about being good. They just sing because that's what birds do, and humans should do that too. Like, it doesn't. You know, yes. we don't need to be experts at it. It should just be part of you know the joyful expression of being human well I think there's there's that global thing that that then becomes an issue for us with all the things that we do so we see the very best musicians we see the very best artists we see the very best thespians all those sorts of things once upon a time when communication wasn't so wide you could have been the best fiddler in your village you know you could have been the best dancer in your village you had a, a more human scale to match yourself to um, and so nowadays we think, well, I can't play unless I'm Dave the Bard. Do you know what I mean? Like we we don't need to be that good to make other people feel happy and connected. So that's something I always try to remind myself, you know. We don't have to be world famous or world good. We just have to be the best something in the village, you know. Yeah. So, Or not even that, just the person that joins in in the village. Or just so. having a go. Just uh, having a go. You know, you don't yeah. have to be great today. Or ever, you know, if you're trying, if you're sharing, yeah, yeah that's more important. Mm. Um, yeah, but you've you've also written a few books, and um, one of your books is kind of on writing, right? Like, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh I've got goodness. twelve novels, and then the thirteenth book um, was a book on writing. Partly because I want to inspire people, because when you write books, people say, "Oh, I really want to write a book, but I bog down, or I can't plan it," or so I just wrote a book about how my process and how, and it was very much about that just keeping moving. I was just keep swimming like a shark and getting those words down and the simplest ways to plan things so that you don't get stuck and so on. So that's, I wrote that as a way, as a sort of a gift to people that, you know, that when I meet people who say, I really want to write because it's exactly the same as music. People have got stories in them, but they're too afraid. Like the inner critic is so powerful in modern society. It's just got a stranglehold on everybody. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so all my books, the fiction books, always I've aimed for what the Norse people, that term uh, frith, you know, that sense of community, of warmth, of um, friendship, of, of, you know, trust and so on. So, I write a few different styles of story like fantasy and mystery, but what I always aim for is frith in the writing and also, of course, I always bring in love of nature and love of animals and so on. So they're not all pagan novels, but they all have that sense of 
friendship and community and love and respect for nature. So, so I do bring my druidry into my writing, even if it's a, even if it's a who done it, you know. So, yeah. yeah. So, and I think that you know, looking at the bardic studies and everything, I had written before. I'd written my first book back when I was probably. When I was studying at uni and um, I was studying teaching and I really knew I was in the wrong place, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So I was being all Miss, Miss Good Teacher and everything during the day and then I would come home at night and write this wild sword and sorcery as a way of kind of getting connecting back to who I really was. And uh, so that was the first book. But once I came to the bardic level and then through the bardic level, I started to see that, it, you know, I just kept writing. So one book, then another book, then another book. And then when I had about, I think I had about eight books written, then I started to see that I was never very good at actually going out and trying to tout them around the publishers and things. So I just wrote them basically. But then I started, I went, well, why don't I just self-publish and just get them out there? So that's what I did. So, yeah. So where, where do you have them for great. sale? Do you, do you just sell them by yourself or do you have them for sale online places? or? They're online in the, on Amazon basically, and I think you can find me on Goodreads as well. I need to actually, every time I do these things, I have to learn it all. So, like, I had to learn how to set the book up to be a Kindle and then I had to learn how to set the book up to be published. I do my own covers because I paint as well. So I thought, well, the first book, someone else did the cover for me and it's beautiful and I love it, but it's very difficult when you have a vision in your mind of what you want it to be to actually get that across to the person doing the art for you. So since then I've gone, well, come on. Uh, bite the bullet, you you do art, I've studied art, why don't I just get, get in there and do my own covers? So that's what I do now. So it's another step of going, well, that's terrifying, but, you know, I know what's in my head, so I might as well put it onto a cover. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, the whole thing becomes very creative. And then so now I need to actually get on there and get it onto Kobo and things like that and not just have it on Amazon. But I must admit I'm uh, procrastinating on that one. <laughs> It's nice to just have them out there at all, though, isn't it? It's beautiful to just share something that you've created with people. and Yeah, and people, you know, they do tell me that the books, the books, the books give them a sense of something, you know, that, that makes them happy and that's what I like. Like I don't, I, don't, I don't take people far into the dark and I always bring them further into the light if I can. So, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I guess in some ways that means that they're probably fluffier than some books, but uh, I just don't want more darkness um, in the world, you know. So. so what kind of things do you write about? I've read, I've read a bit of your, um, your one on writing and I've read um, about half of one of your ones that uh, is kind of inspired by your um, SCA adventures and um yes and I I found that really interesting how you've put uh you know sort of a Nordic Viking theme into a Western Australian context Um, and megafauna yeah and megafauna and it's yeah it's a pretty wild sort of fantasy idea that I don't think uh I've ever seen before that I can't say I'm a huge fiction reader um and so I don't know maybe maybe there are comparable authors i'm not sure <laughs> but uh, not it seems sure like you've created a really unique genre there you know yeah and i'm not even sure what it, the genre would be uh, the sad thing is i wrote that many years before like vikings was on television and uh, things like that and i was like 
it's like I've jumped on the bandwagon, but I really didn't. Like that was one of the books that had just been sitting there for years with nothing being done with it. But it's interesting um, in that one that I do have, uh, I have a pagan who is not a druid, but she's kind of a nature pagan. Um, and then and then I bring in the Norse gods as well. And, and it was a very intellectual exercise then. Like I researched a lot about the culture of the time and I thought about how that would happen. Like if they'd been in Australia for hundreds of years, how they would have changed because they were very adaptable. Um, and then... Um, and then sometime between writing that book and writing the second book in the series, I had my own experiences with Norse gods and um, uh, through doing, you know, doing meditation and my studies and everything. And the second book is just um, the first book. You can see that it's more of an intellectual exercise. In the second book, you can really see that I actually know what it's really like now to actually connect to to deity and so on through through your, your work, you know. So, um I can see a real change in those two books between Land of uh, Land of Fire and Land of Giants. So yeah, but the megafauna was great. I just love the megafauna. So I set the second one in South America just so I could get the South American megafauna into the story. So what inspired you to bring that into it? The megafauna. Yeah. I don't know. I just think they're just so cool. Like I know we have megafauna now. Elephants and things are still megafauna, but. Um, the Australian ones were so fantastic, like the Diprotodon and we had like the Thunder Lizard kind of thing and um, we had meat-eating kangaroos that had these thumbs that stick out to the side that they think they used to use them like to stick into the necks of Diprotodons and that to hold them while they were biting on them. Right. And we had, I can't remember how tall the biggest kangaroos were now. They were like, I think they were like two 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 and a half metres tall kangaroos and things like that. So. So, so all the ones in the story about Australia with the with the what did you call them megafauna? Those are all real yeah. Australian megafauna that you were using in the story. Yeah, yes, right. I used all real ones, and they had like the giant emus and giant echidnas, like you know echidnas that sort of came level with I can't quite exactly remember, but I'm pretty sure they were like at least hip high, you know, and things like that. So yeah, yeah. and the same when I looked in South America, I didn't have to look far to find incredible, amazing creatures that that existed. So. So yeah, so I basically created a dimension where where they hadn't died out, and um, and where Vikings who did get across a large part of the world actually made it to um, Western Australia as well. So yeah. when did you? How did you come across this idea? Like how did how do you come across something in your imagination? Like what was the moment like where you're like, ah, oh, I want to write that? I didn't. So the way I write is. Um, uh, one day to the next. So I started with a fairly simple character and then and then something happened when I went to a party that kind of set me off on how he met Lily, Perry met Lily, and then from there I I put them into the SCA and then I and, and then I went, well, you know, I basically I'll be walking out with the dogs or something and I go, aha, that's where I'm going next and aha, that's where I'm going next. And so it becomes... If I had to plot something from the start, it wouldn't be anywhere near as interesting as is if I just go with what comes to my head next as I'm going along. So, so almost, and sometimes a character like, will come in. What was that? I was going to say it's it's almost like you're having a like a journeying meditation on a really long scale kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's definitely. And when I read back, like I usually I took advice from uh, Stephen King. He's got a fantastic book called On Writing, which is just the best book on actual writing long fiction that I've ever come across. And he says he finishes that last page of the first draft and he puts it away for six weeks. And when he gets it out again, it's like it's new to him too. 
so he can give a better he can have a better judgment of what he's written because it's fresh mm. and it, it genuinely when I get them out after six weeks I'm genuinely reading it and going oh my god that's so funny or or how did I come up with that? Because it's genuinely like it's coming through you and it's almost like you don't remember it because it's just coming onto the page out of you and through you from somewhere else. So, yeah. yeah. So we need, it's I feel like we fun. sort of need a word for that. That happens with Arwen, like that sort of the stepping aside of the self, you know? Yeah. Because, like, yeah. of course, people call it flow, but I'm not sure that's exactly... I mean, yes, it's 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 it does it, it's what the experience is, but it's not saying where that's coming from. So yeah. yeah, I mean, when I'm doing jewelry or something, I always have this sense of like, um, you know, I finish, and then I go, how did I do that? Yeah, you know? exactly. There's yeah. a and there's that sense of like, you know, spirit flowing through you that it's coming, something else is happening, and and mm-hmm. yeah, and you like zone out a bit. Um, mm. And yeah, you are in the flow, but but it's almost like you're not in the flow. It's like the flow becomes you, and you're gone. <laughs> yes, yes. And you, even if I just read back like a few paragraphs from the day before, I can be like, just I I did that yesterday. Like, okay, I don't have the best of memories at the best of times, but it, it, yeah, you genuinely think, or you go, if someone else wrote that, I'd be so impressed. Like, but it's you. So yeah, yeah. So, I suppose we should we should always, own it as well, but um, absolutely. And there's days yeah. when it's like what they say: writing is easy. All you do is sit at a keyboard until blood comes out of your forehead. <laughs> and, that's, and some days it's genuinely like that, and you've just got to show up. And what I've learned <laughs> is that those days, the blood on the forehead days, when you read back through the story, you can't tell what those days were. You know, like compared to the days where it just came out of you. So. Um, you've just got to be there and you've got to show up and that's, you know, that's the secret of any sort of creativity really uh, is to show up. So, Yeah, I used to tell myself that about yoga as well. I think it goes for all sorts of things, like anything that you want to like really understand what it is to be good at something. It's not necessarily always um, technical expertise. It's like showing up to to do the work. Yeah. Because yes, because that's just you know a, a beautiful thing to do. Like to so like I'd be like oh I can't stretch that far on this one or I can't uh, you know judging myself or I'd be like yes I'm so good at this one or but but that's not the point. Like the point is like to try and like just yeah like live a life of of being in the flow. Yeah, yes, mm. because yeah. that way is is happy. It makes you yeah. happy. I mean if I don't. If I don't play music every day, I'm not as happy. Mm. You know, if I don't have a, when we come back to Georgia, if you don't have some sort of daily practice that connects you back, you know, we're talking about that, you know, the orthopraxy idea of where it's a, a spirituality that you live, you know, that affects how you see. If you see a bird or you see a tree or whatever, your druidry actually comes into that in a way that connects you in a way that you wouldn't have that connection if you weren't a druid, you know. So, um, yeah, and it's the same with music. So I know that these things make me happier in my life, so I show up for them. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. like, like what we were saying before about the bardic circle and about everything, you know, just it's not about necessarily being perfect. It's just about knowing that that's an important part of who you are. And it mm-hmm. makes community as well. It's because it's, it's not just about the individual, I think. It's about that sharing, 
There is. There's a special <laughs> bliss in making music with other people. You know, mm. if you can be brave enough to walk, um, stop practicing in your lounge room and go out and find people to play with, whether it's a like the ukulele group down the road that I love to go along to, um, or or playing, you know. I'm going to bring two lies with me. I'm going to make someone else have a go with me and we'll see if we can have a duet or something going because I've never had a chance to do that because I don't know anyone else who plays one, you know. But, um, yeah, there's a special joy in making music with other people and ceremony too, you know. Totally. Yeah, amazing. We're going to talk a little bit about Druidry in Western Australia too, like about them. Cool. Because yeah. um, I've looked at your beautiful wheel of the year for um, for the coast, the New South Wales coast, yeah. and some of the things we get here, like we have a lot of eastern states eucalypts, so we do get some bark fall and so on. You know, so I know when it's bark fall because our eastern states trees are, are losing their bark. Um, of course, down south, the Carry are slightly like it's the Carry Jarra forest down there with the red tingle. Up where I am, it's the Jarra and Mary uh, dryland forest. Um, and then down um, down closer to the coast, we have the Chewets and so on. Down on what we call the flats, because I'm up in the hills. So down on the flats, we have the Chewet forests along more along the coast. Um, it's it's very hot here. We have uh, what the, the traditional owners here are the Noongar people and they have a six-season uh, year. So, um, And I think that actually fits very well. So we're in the middle of Bunaroo at the moment, which is second summer, which is when it gets really hot and it's been dry for a long time and then you start to get storms and, um, and so on. So um, it never really gets very cold here. Um, we're very lucky to have a zero degree night um, in the winter. So, um, and where are you? I'm up in the hills above Perth. So, um, Western Australian people would know Mundaring, which is where there's a big weir up here that was built years ago to send water out to Kalgoorlie out into the desert for the gold mining and so on. Um, so, I'm I'm surrounded by forest here. So, this is you know we talk about you know sometimes people have to travel to find the home of their heart. The home of my heart is here in, in the Jarramari Forest. So It's funny yeah. hearing you say the names of the trees because I, I, don't, I don't know. Like when Western Australian people talk about trees, I don't know what you're talking about at all. <laughs> you're going to have to come over. I know. You're going to have to come over. And I, I, know, I can introduce you to my Jarra yeah. and, and Mary. And um, Dusty's, down, and Dusty's down there in Pemberton, right in amongst the beautiful Cary Forest, which are, you know, world-famous forests down there. It's such a tiny little corner of Western Australia too, so my experience is not of up north or um, the desert or even, you know, not so much of the wheat belt. The southwest forest is tiny compared to the size of our state and it's, uh, you know, it's a bit of a, um, what do they call them, ecological hotspot, you know. it's uh, We're always involved in um, anti-logging protests and things over here trying to save the the, um, the old-growth forest. And mm. it seems like there's a cycle of that where every now and then we've all got to get, get the signs back out and, and go and protect them again. So that's an unfortunate aspect. And, you know, we have dieback here, which is through the Jarra, and now we have a thing called Mary Kanka, which is through environmental stress. So the, the Marys that we always saw, well, at least we'll still have the Marys. Now the Marys are struggling as well. So uh, that's a little bit hard on the heart. So um, uh, we have red-tailed black cockatoos that live in, I'm a member of the reserve group across the road in the reserve, and they come across our place all the time, and they're very special to me, the, the red-tailed black cockatoos. 
Um, so, yeah, so each, each of us would have a different experience um, because the Western Australian state is so very different from top to bottom. I mean, it's huge. You know. And Jenny's down there in Albany and there's some druids down there and I love it down there. It's like um, every time I'm down there I think of uh, Dave the Bard's song, which is um, Land, Sky and Sea because that's what Albany's like and I know why there's some druids down there because it's just beautiful down there. So Yeah, so. right. Do you bring anything into your ritual practices that do you think are very WA specific? Like do you, you know how some people call to different things in different quarters or uh, I don't know, have different associations with the seasons or something like um, that? Is there anything really yeah, WA? I, I think like a typical Australian thing, we kind of struggle with the usual, um, you know, you can't just reverse the festivals because it doesn't work. And I really like your idea of the there's two death times here because right now we're in a death time. It still hasn't rained here. I've just been out with the reserve group this morning and a lot of the plants are dying in the bush because it just has been so long since we got a rain. Um, so there is a summer death time and a winter death time. Not to me, like winter is full of energy for me, but people who work, like normal people who work, who go out to work and come back from work, they, they're going out in the dark and they're coming home in the dark. So for them that is a death time too, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I like that idea of, the child of light, the child of dark, and the season swinging round, and um, that you wrote about in your book. So I'd like us to do more about that. I, I don't think we do any. Well, I don't anyway do anything more Western Australian than, um, you know, obviously all my practices around, or well, most of my practices around the local trees and wildlife and so on. So it's Western Australian from that point of view. Yeah, so. right. So it hasn't necessarily made its way into the ritual side of things. Just sort of We're like not, what you've decided to go and understand and learn about because that's what's there. We just haven't even got, we haven't really done, there hasn't been, like I know there were, uh, Murray is a druid and he did, uh, there were, one of the first ever Obod camps in Australia was down at Albany and um, I believe Philip Cargon came yeah. to that and Stephanie and um, but he's raising children now and he's very busy so he doesn't do anything. So um, we've not had a group ceremony here for a long time so we don't really we haven't really come up with anything and I'm not I'm a bit hedgy in the way I work myself so I'm trying to do actual ceremony like during the ovate level I spent a lot of time every week I would make sure I did a proper ceremony just to give it a really good go to find out if I was just copping out or whether I really am just really quite hedgy you know um uh, and so I do want to do more with other people um and and I am kind of doing it, but uh, yeah, I would really love it if somebody over here just was a real ceremony buff and took it on because it's not really quite my thing, you know. But I feel like I do have a responsibility to help. So we have had bonfires here at midwinter, and we do Arwens, and we will do a small ceremony. But yeah, we haven't really done anything very formal. So coming to the assembly was the first time I've been in a, a formal group ceremony. So. Yeah, I suppose everybody gets to things in their own way. Like just because I do, you know, make my changes in my way doesn't mean that that's going to be the way that you're doing things. So I'm Yeah, no, that, well, I've obviously. got your book out. I've had your book out a few times and I'm definitely going to incorporate some of what I've learned from that in what we do in the future. So, yeah. Cool. Nice. Well, yeah, I'd love to hear about that one day. That will be, yeah. be fun. Um, so it's been really lovely to talk to you. Thanks so much. And, um, it has. It's been so good. So thanks so much for, for being on the podcast. 
Okay. All right, bye. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me.